ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here with another Tuesday edition of Oilers Live. We've got some great guests on the show. We've got uh, Mr. Low Tide himself is making an appearance, so to speak. The circular L is making an appearance. We'll, we'll hear. Well, let's just say we'll, what I look like. <laughs> that's what he looks like. Let's just say circular we'll hear. L. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> Did you say circular L or circular owl? <laughs> yeah. Well, we but, can't insult well, our guests but, immediately here. Well, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear from. We'll hear from him later. And uh, Bruce, Mr. Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey. And, of course, uh, Low Tides from The Athletic. And then uh, my, now I guess I've been calling him my associate host now, uh, Mr. Dash, Dash in the Park. Welcome, everybody. I mean, it only took five seconds before it got off the rails. So uh, welcome <laughs> to uh, Alan and Bruce. Welcome, guys. Good evening, man. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Is this is this just me, or is it a little late to start this? It's, well, you it know, might have been. It, like I'm old, it could you have know, been a little bit late. Yeah, you know, and McCurdy pissing around. I don't know if anybody said anything yet, but we were like ten minutes late because of Bruce. <laughs> it's true. I was writing about Ryan McLeod, and the clock was ticking away merrily up there, and I was sort of focused in on my new news that I was actually covering. When you know it, right on the night that we got this scheduled. So, uh, you guys, you know where you rank, right behind Ryan McLeod. <laughs> now, now Bruce, that. Bruce, that's a good spot. If, do you yeah. know Low Tide? Fourth do you line know center. Low Tide, Bruce? Hmm? Have you met Low Tide before? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, we, well, we were friends. <laughs> we, we, uh, Bruce and I, I see Bruce. Bruce and I, uh, we're not dating, but we, we see each other enough that you could make that, you know, assumption. <laughs> That's um, excellent. People say the same thing Bruce, about Michael Bruce and is I. A, Yeah, Bruce is a great guy, and I, he's a wonderful company, and I'm, I am uh, honored to consider him a friend. Well, and he did until today uh, feel the same way about me. <laughs> Likewise, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I really do appreciate you guys joining us today. And uh, Bruce, you already brought up probably the biggest headline of the day, uh, at least for Oilers fans. Ryan McLeod signs a two-year deal for $2.1 million. Uh, Bruce, you just finished the article on it. Why don't you uh, give us the background and uh, any thoughts? Start us off. Yeah, I'm still writing it, actually, but I'm working my way through it. <laughs> it's, uh, it it's, uh, it's, on, it's on hold while we do this podcast here, but it's mostly substantially complete. And they... Uh, uh, I mean, the owners got a pretty good player here, and they got the important thing is they got this deal done before it went to the arbitration process, and uh, uh, I think it's important because this guy's been jerked around a little bit. Uh, two years ago, at the start of the year, he got sent down to the minors, not because he failed to make the team, but because he uh, had a waiver exemption, whereas guys like uh, Tyler Benson and uh what was the big winger perlini brandon perlini that came in from arizona they didn't have a waiver exemption so they were going to get the first look before the orders had to waive them no matter what mcleod did so he spent you know three weeks in the minors to start that season that he really didn't deserve and then last year 
uh, after his contract ran out, he spent the entire summer waiting for his renewal. And basically, I think the two sides just agreed, let's see how much money's in the kitty uh, an hour before training camp starts. And uh, the hope was that there would be some kind of shuffling of the deck that would, you know, spring loose an extra couple hundred grand somewhere, and it just didn't happen. And so he wound up signing for the very peculiar sum of $798,000. And you would think, well, why not 800? And why not 800? Is that they couldn't have fit him or they couldn't have fit somebody else on the team at the start of the year? It was that tight. So he took one for the team last year, and he's very, very much entitled to, to think that he did. And then he very much outplayed that, that just under $800,000 contract last year. And so he went down the, um, uh, the same. Uh, arbitration process that we saw last year with both Kyler Yamamoto and Yasupo Yarvi. And in those cases, Holland got a deal done uh, before it ever went to the arbitrator. And I was convinced he would avoid arbitration at all costs with McLeod just because he has already kind of jerked this guy around a couple of times. I mean, you take him to arbitration the third year and you get in a, in a courtroom setting where the team is saying, well, you know, he didn't score in the playoffs. And he only got one goal in his last 17 games last year. And, you know, and you just sort of go through his flaws. And this is why we're only offering him this much compared to what he's asked for. They got to do it. And yet that can really harm a relationship. I've heard some really bad stories coming out of arbitration cases that, uh, uh, you know, left the team and player a little bit at loggerheads. So far better to get it done. And certainly Ken Holland's style is to get it done, to do things by consensus and not by some kind of forced uh, issue. Even as, you know, last year, technically, I mean, McLeod was essentially was forced to take that low ball price to make everything work out. And I think probably a promise was made. Well, I mean, I think they have treated him well. Two times 2.1 is a nice deal for, a, you know, a 23-year-old uh, uh, forward with, you know, 20 career goals. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they're betting on him continuing to improve, and that's roughly what was expected in arbitration. I'd say, right? That mm-hmm. two point one, maybe two point two, if if he was lucky. Um, yeah, Bruce, just a couple things you said there. I'm I'm curious if you could think of one thing that, like, you seem pretty high on on McLeod, which is good. I I like the player myself, but what's the mm-hmm. thing you? you think he brings the most tangible thing he brings to the Oilers lineup that he brings yeah. uh, uh, a constant dose of speed. Ryan, Ryan McLeod is so fast that he impacts team speed. The team is faster because he's on it. You know, it's like significantly faster and it's, you know, that ability to wheel. Uh, I've often joked about McLeod and uh, I often, I often talk about, hockey and football terms and McLeod is great carrying the puck between the twenties. But when you get him into the red zone, that's where he starts to encounter uh, some difficulty. So, you know, he's still got growth to undertake as a player. I think there's several things he needs to improve still his face-offs. He needs to do a little better job at getting inside players on the defensive side of the puck, not being outside the danger man and, and, the net uh he's got uh i think just toughen up a little bit more and he has made progress but still it's still a work in pro progress because uh, he hasn't made enough of that yet and he also you know to achieve his full potential which is plenty high uh needs to just settle down a little bit around the net 
and learn how to uh, uh, calm down and finish plays as opposed to panicking and, and shooting when the chance comes or, or making sometimes uh, weird decisions to pass when he has wide open yeah. nets or stuff because it's yeah. almost like the game is almost a little bit his 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 brain hasn't quite caught up to his feet is maybe one way to put it and that's you know it's not intended as an insult his feet are damn fast and his brain's got plenty of work to do uh, but I do remember, you know, with considerable pleasure watching a guy named Glenn Anderson come into this league 40 years ago with an equivalent level of speed as McLeod. You know, he made the team faster. And when he came in and, and when he, he had a reputation from university, from Canadian Olympic team of being a little bit of a plumber, and it only took him about a year. And then, then he suddenly, well, not suddenly, but he he, he developed this skill for stopping at the edge of the crease instead of skating by and then having the rebound go to nobody or the ability to hold the puck for that extra second as he went across the crease and then lifting it over the goalie you know you don't have to just slam it in there's other ways you can do it and you'd like to think that you know these are these are skills that can be learned by players and should he take those kind of steps i mean this guy could be a really terrific player i, I you know I, I think there are limitations but you know by raw skill with the size the speed that he's got uh you know he's uh he's got a lot going on so it's a very yeah. good bet for uh for the orders at this point and two years was yeah. essential excellent yeah I, I i completely agree two years was essential for this deal uh low tide your thoughts on this deal and then you know another thing that Bruce talked about was, of course, the uh, the fact that McLeod really earned this money, having taken a bit of a bath on his last contract for obvious reasons. Um, this is something that's kind of come up with you recently, I'd say. In, in fact, even in in maybe your recent article on LowTide.ca, where you talk about players um, really, you know, have every right to take the contract that they you know, they negotiate, maybe talk a little bit about that. And then I'd love to hear as well, uh, your thoughts on what uh, you think the cloud brings to the team. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, 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 I don't want to, but I find myself writing about Darnell Nurse a lot because he's a, a lightning rod player. And there's a, there's always a sense that for some reason, Darnell Nurse is selfish or should have taken less money. <laughs> and and I, I look at it like, you know, if we were in that boat or, you know, any other hockey player, if you're going to be that critical of nurse, then you should be critical of everybody. Uh, the idea is you take the money that's there when it's available because your career is, you know, relatively speaking, very short. And, and I think in the case of McLeod, uh, I agree with what Bruce said. I think Ken Holland felt there was some, um, you know, not, not indebtedness, but maybe some some uh, generosity there, or at least they bit the bullet on the McLeod side that they they wanted to make up for a little bit. This is a little high, 2.1, but it's not like he doesn't deserve it. You know, he scored uh, 0.84 goals per 60 at 5-on-5 five five this year. That's a pretty good number. And he did it uh, not playing with the big gunners. I've always wanted to see what he could do for 20 games with, uh, you know, Leon or or McDavid. I don't think he's going to get it for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's not that physical big guy that they often have on the wing. And also because he, quite frankly, is a pretty darn good third-line center. Mm -hmm. I, I worry a little bit about a shooting percentage this year. It was like 15%. That's a little high. Uh, but I, I, like, I like that he is going to 
the net more. And I also think that he's, you know, his the, the game is slowing down to for him to the point where he can get open and he can make plays and he does score more goals than he did because of it. But uh, as Bruce said, this is a process and he's not there yet. I think he could be a 20-goal a scorer more than once. Do you ever see, like, do either of you ever see this guy maturing to a top six player? No, I, I, I think his, I think his speed means that he's going to uh, be around the game at a high level for longer than players of his talent normally would. You know, his, his career arc, or tr- yeah, yeah, very good comparable. So, but I also think that he's gonna. I mean, I, I think he, I think he could have a Todd Marchant year. Remember the year he played on the top line, and he did really well. But I don't think McDavid and Drysaddle would be here uh, <laughs> if he's having that year because he's always going to be the third line center with those guys in front of him. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Cogliano's. You're right, Dash. That's that is good uh, speed wise. I always, you know, he needed to change Marchand, his game, yeah, right? Comp. Like yeah. maybe that's the way McLeod prolongs his career is by changing his game somewhat being more of a, a checking guy or or whichever but he, he just as doesn't much have as, this heaviness as much as changing his well, game as there was just accepting a role you know i think this is a lot yeah. of times you grow up in junior and you score 100 goals and you get there and you swallow some pride and realize you're going to be a third line center um and there's nothing wrong with that you know what i mean like i'd, I'd, I'd take 2.1 million dollars a year to do almost anything I think ultimately, you know, playing up with low t- uh, with low tide with uh, McDavid or um, Drysaddle, like low tide mentioned, you know, like I, I like him in that third line role. I like him in that bottom six. You know, if we're gonna start pushing guys up to the top six, then it should be the Dylan Holloways and the guys that were drafted to be in that position. And then maybe we get so much strength on the wing, we can push Nuge to the three C and have McLeod as a four C. You know, how how great would that be? Yeah, that's, why that's do you hate Ryan Nugent? That's 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 I'm so glad. You want to stack center on the depth chart? That's the way to go. It. I mean, if yeah. you can ask Alan. I mean, about. I mean, for instance, Mark Bouliot, uh, how he took full <laughs> advantage of being asked by Craig McTavish if he wanted to become the next Guy Carboneau. <laughs> and saying, "Pshaw, I want to be the next Mark Pouliot. Score fifty yeah. goals." And, and take offensive zone penalties. And lollygag back to the bench. <laughs> with five minutes left in the third period at Montreal. Yeah. This is the Pouliot show tonight? Or what? I, I, I do remember Matthew Awanek asking you at your book signing, why is Marc-Antoine Pouliot your favorite draft pick of all time? <laughs> or who is your favorite I, I draft say- pick and why is it Marc-Antoine Pouliot? Did I mention yeah. he's a big fan of the show or used to be? <laughs> yeah. He had a chance. He really did have a chance. He, he, uh, well, it's in the book, but he had a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really for sure. Uh, so. so, you know, back to McLeod. I, the one thing I do love about McLeod, and I think, you know, 2.1 is fair. I said this last year, you know, I'll keep saying it is. And, and this goes alongside the you know, play him 20 games with McDavid or Dreisaitl kind of comment. I'd like to see him play five games with McDavid or Mm -hmm. Dreisaitl just to, 
you know, stay in that sort of role and, and, and be able to understand what kind of pace those guys are playing at. And the reason being is he's been, to me, McLeod's been a really essential player in terms of being able to play up and down the lineup wherever you need him. Uh, and he's one of the few guys on the team that has the speed to play up and down the lineup, um, you know, bringing the speed to to the team. So for two point one million, you got a guy like that, that if a player goes down and you need him to play three to five games up in the top six, you know, then I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, the owners uh, back in the day and Bruce will back me up on this. They would run. Every once in a while, you know, it would, uh, Don Ashby is the name that came to mind, but they'd run Gretzky and Curry with somebody else or or slide somebody up who was having a hot streak, Pat Hughes. And I, all of those players, I think, improved because of that offensively because they had that opportunity. And a guy like McLeod, he has such tremendous speed. If he could just be a little more... Um, capable or able with the puck on a stick, it could be a big difference. So uh, the idea of putting him on the line for a little while, mm-hmm. it's a good, it's a good one. It's a good idea. Yeah. Well, he, he has a potential of being, you know, the defensive uh, conscience of a, of a, of a good line. Uh, I mean, he's got to still, I think work on his defensive game, but he's, he's trending in that direction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to have a guy with the versatility that can play left wing or center, letting play, uh, five on five or penalty kill or even power play. Uh, you know, he's got a lot going on as a player, a lot, a lot of different ways he can contribute. But I like you see him. I think three C is uh, is his calling. And you know, you look at his line mates. I mean, here's the guys he played with the most last year among Oilers forwards. Uh, it's twenty two, twenty three. Warren Fogel, uh, Derek Ryan, Dylan Holloway, Matthias Janmark, Kyler Yamamoto. And only then do you get to Zach Hyman, you know, with 80 minutes that he played with him and almost 600 without him. I mean, he barely played at all with the, with the top players. And yet he chipped in at, uh, what was it 1.7 points per 60? Yeah, I think at it was five a little, five and then, a little high. Let me look at that. It was um, five on five. 186. 186. Okay. Is yeah. that even strength or is that five on five? Five on five is one eighty six. Oh wow, okay. Even better yeah. than I thought. Yeah, he had a lot of a lot of uh uh first assists too, point seven five first assists. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so there's um you know, all this talk about McLeod. There's the other side of this story, which is the Bouchard signing. What does this mean? So if we go, uh my favorite guy, of course, and a guy that um you know, I've had on the program a few times, uh, Hart from Puckpedia. He put out uh, what it meant. Let me just find that tweet. He's really great, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know. Does essentially uh, Bouchard not just kind of have to do what McLeod did last year and take so what's I, left? Here, let me finish here. So uh, Puckpedia says after signing McLeod for <laughs> $2.1 million, it's uh, $4.28 million projected cap space with 20 players on the roster. Uh, if Bouchard signs for three and a half million or less, Edmonton can fit a 22nd player on the roster. If he signs for more, uh, can fit max 21 players. So I guess, yeah, Lotai, let's start with you. I mean, your thoughts on this, uh, Bouchard, like, do you have any sort of thought in terms of what, what we'll see for this contract? 
I, I think what you what you would want to see is something uh, less, well, less than four. Uh, if you could do, I mean, I don't know. You, you mentioned the heart numbers. If you could get them at three point seven or three point six five, I think that allows you to put Lavoie on the roster if he makes it. Uh, I, I think the outer marker is is four, and then maybe three point six. I, I might be McCurdy's really good at this. Um, but I, I think between three, six and four. Okay. McCurdy. I, I pegged him at 3.75 and, and, and when I say pegged, it's just more, it's, that's, that, that's a word that I want. It's a cribbage word actually. Oh no, I'm <laughs> not doing this. Damn it. <laughs> you start a show at nine 30 and this is what you get. Late night, late night internet. Look out folks. Uh, anyway, I, I, I. I compared him to the two guys that just signed Bowen Byram and Keandre Miller, and they both signed within like a dollar fifty one another. I think right around three point eight five million dollars. Yep. And to me, the the two of them at that level makes the case that Evan Bouchard should be no higher than where those are. Those two guys both played twenty two minutes a night last year. Evan Bouchard played eighteen and a half, and. Time on ice is that, you know, cases that do go to arbitration, which his won't because he's not eligible for it. When they do go to arbitration, time on ice is a huge figure. Games played, time on ice, boxcar stats. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he just played more or less uh, uh, 85% of the minutes that those two guys did. And they both scored more points per game. And uh, Miller scored more points, period. And... Uh, Neither one of them was like the number one guy in their power play. I mean, she's had Kale McCarr on one team and Adam Fox on the other. I don't suppose there's much need wow. for uh, uh, the other guys to do a lot on the on the on the PP. And to me, it, it just sets an upper limit. Like uh, there's, I I can't think of an argument that says Evan Bouchard should be paid more than Keandre Miller next year. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, the only argument is if he signs a different kind of contract that's for a longer term, which obviously he won't or can't at this point. And I, I just don't see it as, um, you know, I, I, I just think it's a real strong line in the in the sand that the Oilers have to play. Yes, uh, there's no know, offer sheet coming good, either. Good players, first round draft picks, getting paid by other teams, and we're prepared to go in that neighborhood with you. But why should we go into the four, four point two range when they're getting three point eight? And, I mean, people might say, well, Bouchard was trending great at the end of the season. That's great. It's all good. The playoffs were good. But they pay uh, contracts based on the platform season. It's not the platform two months or the platform six weeks after the trade deadline. It's the whole season. And Bouchard was, frankly, quite poor for part of it. And he turned things around nicely in the third quarter, but on the third pairing with Broberg. And then he came on red hot once they got the right partner for him at the end. And great, he trends well, and they may have to pay him big time down the road. But I think they should be able to contain him at this point. It's somewhere around that 3.75 range. You know, offer him $3 million the first year, 4.5 the second. That's the maximum you can do for, for backloading a two-year deal, 40-60. And then he's got the higher platform for to negotiate from next time around. You know, you can you can do things like that, but... But I, I, unless they're really going to go, you know, four, five, six years with this guy, and I, you know, I just don't see how that's even possible. It's a, they'll be doing well to get him for two years, and one, one, 
if he says, oh, well, I'll take this figure for one year then, you know, that's that's trouble for next year. So, again, as with McLeod, you really want a two-year deal. How does that work, Bruce? I'm, I'm not uh, familiar in terms of how the cap works with that. If they do three this year and then four and a half the next, mm-hmm. what's the uh, – how does it go against the cap? I thought that they – 3.75 yeah, for it's an A, a-, a- is the yeah, yeah. average annual value yeah. of the of so the you know the average of the two years in this case, but it can be several years. But it used to be they had they get these really ridiculous they get 12 million in the third year, and then they'd have eight years at the tail end of the ca- of the contract worth one million dollars each. And so they really tightened that up. So they said that, you know, these numbers have to relate to one another. You can't just yeah. have this. Uh, and so the benefit uh, to the backloading is the, is the qualifying mm-hmm. offer, right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He quali- his qualifying offer is the back is the platform season, which is, so it would just be the salary for the one year. That's why you saw guys like Debrinkat and Timo Meyer that had these phenomenally high, like nine and $10 million, um, uh, qualifying offers because they were in under the old system and where they could really, really dial it up on the last year of the contract. Whereas now, like I say, with a two-year deal, it's 40, 60 or somewhere in between. You can't go any, any more than that. You can't go two in the first year and eight in the second year. Just, you just can't do it. So Dash, I mean, you and I have talked about this at length on and off air. Uh, your thoughts on Bouchard in terms of, and I'm, I'm We'll go around the horn on this, but what's Bouchard's importance to this power play on this team? Yeah, I think that's a key point to bring into this, right? I think, you know, like we talked about um, McLeod going to arbitration and, you know, if I was McLeod, I might want to take Darcy McLeod in as my uh, as my lawyer, given some of the facts that he's put out there with him. Now, I know Boost wouldn't have arbitration, but he has an agent. And, you know, if I'm that agent, I'm probably arguing that, yeah, Bruce, you're right that, you know, there was a season that he did partly poorly in, but I would argue that there was a Sansbury season that uh, really everything kind of went very well from that point on. And the playoffs didn't just go well. They, they were record setting. Um, so, you know, like I, I think the one or two year deal is obviously what's going to be the key in this, um, you know, like I think five, six, seven is a pipe dream at this point, as Bruce said, um, I think it's going to be one. If it's two, that's fabulous because no matter what, uh, he's a deal on that second year based on what he should produce this year. Um, you know, tying into that segue, Michael, what he should produce this year. Well, anytime you're the quarterback on the power play with 97 and 29, um, like we've, we, we've seen what he did it. No, everybody thought, Oh geez, Barry's gone. What's going to happen to the power play? Well, all it did is get better. Um, but I know where you were leading with the question and Boucher's probably the fifth most important person on that power play. I think yeah. everything flows through Nuge. We all know what 97 and 29 does and you need that net front presence to make sure that, you know, you can make it all work. So We've seen it work with Barry. We've seen it work with Bush. Could it work with Nurse? I don't know. It work with but yeah, I think we're going to have to. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I see what you're saying, Michael. And I don't know whether they'll be able to argue that. Um, you know, his agent's going to say he's got 80 points in 82 games this yeah, year. Yeah, you can't argue it. There's just no way to argue it, especially if it goes to arbitration. Uh, Alan, uh, I can hear the water running. 
<laughs> that's, my, that's my humidifier, boys. Oh, okay. Uh, you were supposed to mute when you flushed. Yeah, I'm <laughs> just right. saying. It's there. It's building up. <laughs> it's building up. You're the um I mean, you're the you're a stats guy. I mean, what's you know, how does that look uh in terms of Bouchard, you know, versus Barry versus how important he is to the power play? Does this power play continue to be the best power play in the league with or without Bouchard? Could Darnell Nurse sub in? And how does that play into this contract? Well, I think the 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 key for Bouchard is what hasn't happened and and we're late now there's no offer sheet you know we always talk about it uh he doesn't have any rights really um i i think that that the thing that that was most encouraging about bouchard i think he's the last impact player of the mcdavid era that they're going to draft and they don't have any more money to spend on anybody unless uh uh you know somebody gets traded or retires but i I think that Bouchard's five-on-five is the key for the team. They're going to do well on the power play anyway. I like him on the power play, but he's got some things to learn. I like him along the line with the puck. He, He needs to get pucks through a little better on the when he's shooting them although when he does good things happen i like him a lot i don't think he's vital to the power play uh and i i think that that although i know why they made the berry deal last year it, it is going to cost them some money because bouchard became more of a feature player i like him a ton um but as as you said earlier um if you're making a list of the important players on the Oilers power play uh you know he's not yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, arguably there's three guys on that power play <laughs> and then the rest are, the rest are extras. Uh, well, it was good when yeah. Alex Chason was the net front guy, you know? Yeah. It was good yeah. when, uh, when Pul Yarvi or Kyle Yamamoto or whoever was the net front guy, you know, James Neal. Um, but Hyman certainly taken it up that other level and, and Bouchard may well be capable of doing that in the, in the yeah. defense. Let's give credit where due. He didn't exactly take over from a slouch in Tyson Barry, mm-hmm. who did a real good job mm-hmm. on that uh, PP. They were in the number one spot before Bouchard ever took over on the on the point. And mm-hmm. you know Barry put up good numbers in his in his time here, and then he got good value in when he was traded. So yeah. uh, uh, that was that was one contract that worked out pretty okay for the Oilers, and. The thing that he had going in the playoffs, it was just ridiculous. The the power play points that he was somehow able to record. 15 power play points. He was on the ice for 17 goals, and he had 15 points. His his, uh, individual points percentage was like 88%. Uh, uh, And McDavid had 12, right? power play points and he was second in the league and and Bouchard was first in the league and he only played two rounds of playoffs with 15 points but at even strength he was like two points and overall he was like minus four I think pretty close to just even at even strength so all the damage that he did in the playoffs all of it was on the power play which is great for the power play but uh, he's he's still got other things that I think he can improve on in his game. What did his defensive numbers end up on at like um you know I think they went up as uh, Ekholm came on board so obviously you know that's going to be a plus for him. He did look uh definitely and um I know the two of you are 
are big on the numbers. I, you know, I go way more on the eye test probably. Uh, but he, you know, he looked calmer. He, it, it seemed Ekholm had the same uh, effect that Duncan Keith had on Bouchard, which was, you know, to give this, maybe give him some insulation. Um, what were the numbers uh, given the Ekholm era of last year versus not? Do you, do you know offhand? I know that Ryan Murray and Bouchard did not work out early on. And and I know that I thought Broberg played very well, quite frankly, with Bouchard, but it was third pair. Third pair. Uh, yeah. And then I think I think we have to be realistic about the Ekholm Bouchard pairing. They were they I think they're gonna be fine. I would run them next year. But they were on a world class heater and the entire team oh. was just smoking hot. And so yeah. the expectations can't be that. They just can't. Ekholm's so, not a point of game player. Yeah, exactly. And they did, I mean, they just, everything was working and it was dynamite. Yeah. And, and that, you know, you're going to get 20 games r- runs like that. And they did. And, and it, 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 they damn near caught the, the Golden Knights. And that might have been key to winning the, the Stanley. So uh, I, I, I think, I think the, the problem with Bouchard is that, that defensively, He's always going to be. He's going to need a strong hand on the on the other side, and I love his puck moving. I love his passing, and I do think that as he matures, he'll be even more dangerous in those areas. But uh, I think I think I'd love to move Ekholm to Broberg or Ekholm to whomever. But I think that Ekholm Bouchard is going to be one of the co-number one pairings. And it's too bad because Ekholm is so valuable. He could mentor somebody else if Bouchard had the ability to move higher up alone. Yeah. So we got Crosby in the chat. Uh, Mike Crosby says, any chance you'd run Ekholm with Broberg instead and put Nurse with Bouchard? Obviously, that's leaving CeCe out of the mix. Is that something any of you guys would consider? Cult of Hockey went over that on one of their podcasts. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, in theory, uh, you know, Broberg is capable of playing both sides. I think Nurse is as well, but uh, uh, with, I would like Broberg with uh, with Ekholm. I mean, that would be a wonderful opportunity for him. Mm-hmm. Broberg was the one guy who kind of lost out after that trade last year. I mean, Bouchard got that wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. on the right side because all of a sudden there was one less right guy and he was sort of logical man to step up into the second pairing and get the new guy that came in. Well, Broberg found himself going from the third pairing to the fourth on the left side behind three big-time minute munchers in Nurse, Ekholm, and uh, Kulak, you know, all of them, you know, capable of putting in pretty significant minutes. And so... It would be nice to see him benefit from his fellow Swede uh, on the D. It'd be kind of fun to watch. That said, when you look at how they were used, uh, Ekholm saw some pretty tough competition, and and Broberg was heavily sheltered last year. In fact, all of the young guys were quite heavily sheltered, including Bouchard, right up to that, you know, the time of the trade. The four the four young defensemen they had, including uh, uh, Deharnay, Niemelainen. Broberg and Bouchard were all lagging way below the veterans in terms of playing tough minutes against top competition. And so that's smart coaching, but you kind of wonder how do you then turn around a guy who's only played, you know, mostly third pairing comp and say, we want to just drop you, airlift you right into our second pairing. Yeah. 
might work, might not work. So I don't know how much chances they, you know, they want to take. Uh, but it's it's it, it it's a very interesting, intriguing even idea of what uh, what they might try. Well, maybe they go eleven and seven, and Bouchard's just a power play specialist. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Andre Bergeron. Yeah. Oh my God. Tori Sorry. Krug. Sorry. Tory Krug. Yeah. Well, that's a better yeah. version. Do the Oilers was, go eleven and seven again this year for most of the year? I think I, mean, it, I think we've, a lot of it depends on who the center is going to be on the fourth line. Yeah, we've only got eleven you forwards. Have to have to yeah. yeah, well, that's yeah. fair. If they go twelve and seven on the roster, which remains quite possible, and basically, um, uh, Jay Woodcroft's got two choices every game. He can go twelve six or eleven seven. That's all he can do. He's got one extra player. But what? And if someone's sick or you know banged up and has to miss a game, it might be a forward, it might be a D-man. But whichever way he has to adjust, his team is quite experienced at going that way. Eleven-seven won't catch anybody sort of off guard anymore. You know, certainly on the Oilers. Hopefully, it still works against opposition from time to time that you get a good matchup out of it. But the uh, uh, the Oilers coaches Woodcroft and Manson are well versed. And eleven seven, and I think they've primarily used it to advantage over the time they've been here. Yeah, they can they can hide players, you know, when it's eleven seven, you can hide Broberg, and sometimes they they would hide uh, Deharnay, but Deharnay, you know, he he is an interesting guy because he's he's got great wingspan. His numbers were ridiculous. I want to can I ask Bruce a question? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Okay, I've been looking at at Deharnay, and, yeah. and I I really like him. But he had, you know, his expected goals are are at one level. I think I can't remember, but they're they're good. But uh, his actual goal share is ridiculous. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. How much regression do you see in that player? Uh, some I also expect to see some progression. So you know, there's going to be some. Uh, you know, I I think he's going to improve, but his results might kind of not. But they might not fall as much as you might expect from uh, regression to the meat, because I think the player himself is going to is going to keep you know take it up a level. Uh, but I still see him as definitely all third pairing as kind of six seven, and I don't mind him at all in that in that role. Yeah, so. yeah, I I like uh, I like Deharnay. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you there, uh, Bruce. I I can't see him regressing to be fair like a, a ton just given the fact that um you know i think he's he developed nicely he he had some like i love the way he learned from his mistakes in the playoffs mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. to me that was the sign of a player that's you know got some got some potential mm-hmm. yeah my concern really is you know if you're talking about progressions and regressions is you know if if we get cc back to where we hope he he is um you know where like we bruce you and i had this conversation last time you're on this this broberg thing that we keep talking about is a problem in my mind you know and ken hall it's a problem so much so that ken holland brought it up how how do you have a guy like that on your team that the numbers all indicate he's going to be a hell of a defenseman uh, but what are we going to play him six or seven minutes a night uh, as a seventh guy? I, I just don't understand 
how this is all going to play out. Well, as long as he keeps getting 60% of the goals and shots, you know, I'd rather he played more given the results he's been getting. But, I mean, they really have sheltered him to the point yeah. that his on-ice results look good. And I, I did want to respond to something that Alan said before he inconveniently asked me a question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is the sheltering and the hiding, the hiding of uh, of, uh, of Broberg and other players. And one of the really brilliant uh, uh, gambits that uh, Woodcroft pulled off, especially later in the year, was when he had the eleven-seven. And let's say the let's say the two extra forwards were Ryan and Costin, and the extra D-man was Broberg. Well, essentially. He used them as a set, not quite a line, but he put the three of them all out there on the ice at the same time. That when the when the fourth line or the you know the rump the 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 runt line was uh, on the ice with you know just two players, the third guy would be McDavid or Drysaddle, and then Broberg would go out as the seventh defenseman, and his partner might be Eckholm, or it might be Nurse, or it might be. You know, somebody pretty darn good, not just, you know, he's not just going out there playing only with the third pairing D-man, just like like um, Ryan and Costin would get their chances with the big guys. And that was a pretty nifty move because usually it meant they were out against weaker opponents because of who they were. And they would be in the upper hand because I mean they got McDaniels. <laughs> that's a, that's a game changer. So there there was some really crafty maneuvering in that department, and I kept noticing, hey, look at that Broberg's out there with the boys again on the fourth line. That can't be an accident. And sure enough, at the end of the night, you see he played more with the fourth line guys than with anybody else. And and the fourth line wasn't even a full line; it was just two 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 players. And but Broberg was like he was attached to them at the hip. And it was uh, some smart coaching because they did get good results in those uh, uh, in those deployments. Yeah, I think also that that the the thing we, there's so much we don't know and we 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 acknowledge it, but that's all we can do. Injuries being an example, and with Broberg, you know, last year, boys, he hurt himself. I think he cut himself, and he also had uh, trained wrong. I remember Bob Stoffer mentioning yeah. it several times. Yeah, uh, came in heavy. That he, you know, what did he top heavy or something? Came in thing. heavy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that, that we, you know, in our mind's eye, we acknowledge that. And because we can't project it accurately, we may just uh, um, not value it at all. And I think that would be a mistake. I'll be interested in seeing... You know, I mean, I know that Borgo and Lavoie are coming in, uh, you know, in good shape because that's been written about and it always is going back to God knows who. But Broberg's the guy I want to see. I want to see, you know, if he trained differently, uh, stay out of the damn kitchen, kid, that sort of thing. Because I, I, like, I think as much as we talk about how much we like Kulak <laughs> and how much we like Taylor Broberg is a top 10 pick. He should be able to zoom past these guys at some point. Oh, and, and when he's been ever. healthy, when he's been healthy at any level, he, he's looked amazing, right? I mean, when he came, when he was healthy playing in the World Juniors, he looked amazing. I mean, he was he was the in guy. The World Juniors, yeah. he was a bit of a man amongst boys too. I mean, the guy was yeah. chiseled out of Swedish stone. He was great at the Halinka too. But, uh, Bruce will remember yeah. that. Yeah, I saw him as a. 17-year-old at the first uh, Linka Gretzky here in Edmonton. I watched and that. And he was quite dominant. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I just think we're we're not, and we can't. It's not our fault, but you can't because you can't say, "Oh, it'll be great," because I know this. But yeah. those are three, two little arrows in his favor that we can't count on, but we can observe when he gets here. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. There, um, like I, I, I just kind of think, what if you know the big challenge maybe that I see as well is what if there's a guy in the forward group though that presents themselves as a viable option in training camp that you can't go 11 and seven, then you got to, and again, it, there's this Broberg problem just sits there to me as being, you know, and, and I, I keep sitting on it because Ken Holland even brought it up. And, and so, you know, it's obviously something they're thinking about, but I just think about this, you know, you, we're, we talk 11 and seven as being an easy way to go for the same reason that dash said, well, that's kind of what you got right now. You've got 11 and seven. That's an easy choice. But if somebody comes up that maybe makes a case to be that 12th forward, then you got another challenge. Um, I don't know. Anyway, let's, let's move on from this. I, <laughs> I, I love it, but we've got, uh, you know, we've got, Holloway, well, <laughs> I mean, Holloway, <laughs> you know, Maybe I think he's actually <laughs> who's the fourth line center? Eleventh for like so that's what I want to know. Is like Lane Peterson's the guy now. Uh, if if you if he's the guy, he's probably the you're probably are eleven and seven. He, he you know he's an easy guy to send out. I I just wonder about you know maybe it's PTOs, maybe it's not a a contract, but you know they 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 could sign somebody for seven seventy five, and there are some people out there. But Al, who's a center that you'd want on our fourth line that could come well, in Suter, as a PTO? Nothing wrong with Studer. He's a, not a bad player at all. He's soft. Well, Lane Peterson is not. Yeah. You know, he, well he's said. not going to lift him over. You know, no, right. and and I like Lane Peterson, but I like I. And Devin Shore had a great year last year, and I but I understand they're not going to bring him back. But he yeah. he played as well as Devin Shore can, I think. But I think right now the decision's easy because they just don't have an obvious fourth line center unless they move Derek Ryan over, uh, and he has played center. And Yanmark, although I mean, takes faceoffs, I don't know if he's a center. But I I think there's a hole there, and I would not be surprised if we see a couple of. Of PTOs and maybe a, maybe a contract instead of a PTO, uh, because as you say, you know there's co competition there, but I don't really see the competition there. I see Lane Peterson yeah. as being the last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I don't think right now there is right, and I think that I'm not sure they sign another pro contract. I think there's a few PTOs coming, and once Bouchard signed, that's it. They've got room. Yeah, well, I'm just for twenty twenty seven hundred seventy five thousand dollar contracts or ten, I guess, if they signed that up to the fifty million yeah, limit, yeah. there's only going to be a couple of them that are on the team. So, mm -hmm. uh, some folks seem to see it as they got this much cap room, they can't sign anybody at all. You can sign alternatives. What you can't do is pay extra money over and above the minimum to pretty much anyone. Yeah. 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 Yeah, lots of questions. Lots of questions going in. Uh, they could also send Broberg down, guys. They, I mean, I know they won't, but they could. Uh, the concern is playing time. You could send them. Could quantify uh, his bonuses first, though. You got to do. DNA, uh possibly do a Strudwick and play a wing. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
nobody plays swing like Strudwick. Come on now. <laughs> well played. Well played, Michael. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's. We've got a a couple of headlines to do, and then we'll we'll uh, close it down uh, for the night. I think we had, um, you know, all of the. Uh, it's it's getting late over there in Edmonton. It's getting late here in Halifax a little bit. Bladder's filling up, buddy. <laughs> Bladder's filling up. Yeah, who knows? Who knows who could pop by Bruce's door at the back? This is standard third period at Oilers game for you, though, isn't it? This is this is a typical third period. Yeah, for me, one thirty in the morning. Be a fantastic Oilers live when Low Tide can't get to his own toilet and knocks on Bruce's door behind him. There, that would be that would be world class stuff, right? If I was if I was in any way able to get there in time, I'd do it. It would be, it would probably, this would be a viral show for sure if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> we get there. We've got two articles tonight. Uh, one from uh, each of these fine gentlemen. We're going to start. Uh, not with... me. <laughs> That's right. Not named Dash. Uh, we're going to start with uh, one. It's um, uh, QR codes up in the top left. You can find it at lowtide.ca. Title is Petri Dish. Uh, Alan, do you want to just kind of give us a quick summary of this, and then we'll um, we'll have a quick discussion about it? Well, the, the, there's a couple of things in there about about, and we've gone over a few of them. Uh, I I argued that that um, there's a sense among among some Oilers fans that Broberg is somehow behind or off the pace or you know, for a number, whatever it was, eight or nine pick. And and certainly I think that, that the Oilers reached for him. They wanted a defenseman. Uh, Sider has turned out really well. And Bro, but but I my argument is that Broberg uh, is, is a player who, you know, if you're worried about him ever playing top four, I think that's a little early to get, uh, uh, you know, upset about. And I, and I think that, that we, we have to watch this play out and, and, you know, at some level, we sit and we talk all summer about, you know, how does Broberg get in the lineup? And sure as hell, an injury will will occur, and that that's that's going to be the issue. And and the, the on the other end of it, the article basically talked about about Darnell Nurse at the top end and Ekholm at the top end, and and that left side of the defense being a blessing because. You know, we don't know about CC, and Broberg could move over, and and Bouchard is is good, but he's young, and DeHarnay is twenty seven, and he, I don't think, does he have fifty games in the NHL? I don't think he does yet. So, DeHarnay thirty six. Yeah. So, so I, I I think that that we we we're spending the spring and the summer talking about what Broberg isn't, but I think he is going to be more substantial than our mind's eye has him when the fall comes. Excellent. Yeah. Again, talking about at lowtide.ca title name is Petri dish. Uh, Bruce, your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, you'd like him to be further along by now for sure. But the fact is he's still on his ELC. And for me, that's kind of the, the boundary of still a young player needs time. Is he showing progress? Yes. Is it as fast as we would like? No. Uh, does he have tools? Uh, yes. He is a very finely tooled player. And, uh, he, you know, there's a lot going on. I actually, I'm 
looking forward to the day they unleash him a little bit and don't just have him hanging back but start to go with the offensive instincts because yeah. uh, he's very capable of jumping up into the play and making stuff happen. Some ways he's got some things in common with Darnell Nurse in terms of his – I mean, he doesn't have the hard edge to his game, obviously, but uh, in terms of his his sort of young colt willing to just take off and – and you know, create chaos in the good parts of the ice. And I think he's got that in his game. And Nurse, you know, has developed that part of his game. Yeah, Dash, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, ultimately, um, just really impressed that you can use the word innocuous and vitriolic in the same sentence. Um, that was <laughs> pretty much my highlight of there. Um, but it, what can I say that wasn't already said? I think like ultimately Broberg hasn't advanced as much as maybe some of us would like that said, he wasn't Maurice Sider. He wasn't the first defenseman picked, right? I mean, they, there's a reason that Sider went ahead of him and that's because Broberg was probably going to take a little longer. And, and here we are. Um, ultimately it's tough to get the time you need to be the defenseman we want him to be, um, when we're in win now mode. So ultimately I love the positivity that, uh, Mr. Mitchell put behind the article and, and that that's, you know, there's hope, I think. And um, maybe one of the greatest things I saw in there was um, from the personal news section where you said you'll uh, likely be in a microphone again by September. So uh, that's great news for a well, lot of people. It might be a Mr. Microphone at my house. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I'll take it. So I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about this for a second. The one thing that, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about Broberg tonight, obviously, because it's a big question mark. What I'm curious about is when we get down to the deadline, what happens? And uh, I think a lot of that will have to do with what we see from Broberg uh, going into that part of the season right because you can't i just think with the the with the kind of defensive core we have we you know he might be the chip if he's just not good enough to kind of stick uh where we need him to stick right um that's possible uh, because he's got you know everybody uh should know any hockey uh person should know that um that he's he's got what it takes to be a you know a, a good defenseman. Uh, whether that shows in this Oilers team is is another thing. Uh, and um, Alan, I you know I love what you said about Nurse there, and and mm -hmm. you know just the facts about his contract. And and I'm a big Darnell Nurse fan. I mean, I'll never figure out you know why Oilers fans are so negative. You know, I love what was his comment like. You know, if he made, he made a comment there about if you had a flat tire or whatever. He gets blamed for everything from gold games to uh, traffic That's on right. Stony yeah. Plain Road. Stony Plain Road, yeah. So, you know, and, and so, you know, if you don't think these guys are does. reading it's this stuff, they are. Yeah, and if you don't think they're not sensitive to it, or they should be above it. I mean, the people that are freaking tagging them in, in, um, in, tweets and stuff i mean that's one thing but he just sometimes a barrage of constant criticism that's going to get through to a guy and a lot of it's resentment flat out resentment over the yeah. and the amount you know i mean what it means to the orders competitively of course being a big part of that and he's viewed now as being overpaid some people think very badly overpaid uh i well, think those people do not they see the mistakes and they don't see the positive 
things or they take them for granted. I don't know what it is that, you know, you see, you turn on a guy and you see every little thing he does wrong and yet in there he's also doing some some pretty good things. And I mean, Nurse does a lot of pretty good things. He wins a lot of races. He wins a lot of puck battles, you know. Yeah. He, he has his teammates' backs. Like, it's in the top 10 in the league. Like on your team. Yeah, I mean, if he was playing in... in um, Columbus or Washington or something, seeing him from a distance, a lot of people were saying, geez, we need a guy just like that. We should try and get that guy. But when you see him here, you like you see all 82 of his games, and you see other guys come through and they play two or three or four games against the Orders all year. If you're an Orders fan, Darnell Nurse is going to make a lot more mistakes than Alec Petrangelo, right? I mean, yeah. It's... <laughs> It's just a mathematical well, certainty. I mean, he probably does make more mistakes than Alec Petrangelo, and that might have been a bad example, but you know what I mean. He's If you focus only on mistakes, and there are people that do it, and frankly, it drives me nuts. All players make mistakes. All players do yeah. some good things. The ratio of good to bad changes from player to player, but uh, uh, you know, it's not like he's a secret agent for the other team. I feel uh, like anybody passing judgment and... Through and through. Anybody passing judgment and sentencing on Darnell Nurse just doesn't have the whole story. Ultimately, you've yeah. got to take everything into account. And the fact that he played for our team well above his salary for years, taking a Seven haircut, a value yeah. contract after value contract. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's yeah. showing up top 10 in the league in almost every five on five category. In fact, mm -hmm. go through the last five years in the NHL and add up every five-on-five mm -hmm. five category. Nurse is still in the top ten mm -hmm. in a lot of those categories. Yeah. It's not his oh, fault. Sure. Jones, Wierenski, and McCovey, or who was it, McCoy, McAvoy, sorry, and mm -hmm. Heiskinen all got mm -hmm. nine million right before Nurse did. The other thing is that, that and that's why I think that the, the Puck IQ uh, gents have done such a great job, is if you go to Puck IQ and you look at the, the minutes he's playing, uh, against elites, oh. it's it's enormous, and it has been for some time. And now Ekholm is here, and that's great. But you know, back when Clefbaum and Nurse were coming up, there was support there, and they, you know, uh, Bruce had an article not long ago about how many times they tried to replace Clefbaum, and I think <sighs> they probably have it with Ekholm. But you know, Darnell oh Nurse has been kind of a stone alone out there against the, the elite competition to the point where when Woodcroft got here in the first year he was coach, when he arrived like February 11th or whatever, he sort of turned Nurse Cece into super top two pairings and they just ran the hell out of yeah. him. And he's such a horse, he can do it. But I, I think for some reason, those things get overlooked. And, and uh, I think that at the end of the line here, Darnell Nurse is going to be a guy that, that I hope they win a Stanley Cup with him. Uh, as a big part of it, because I think that at that point he'll probably start getting the credit he richly deserves. Yeah. So oh, there's, yeah. there's two things. Was, else. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bruce. I was going to say the other thing that impressed me about his 42-minute interview, where he finally, you know, made that that one volatile comment around the 40-minute mark, was all all that he does. This guy, like, he's uh, uh, he. He's taking uh, courses during the season. Yeah. He's still, you know, f filling out his university degree. He's planning for life after hockey. You know, he takes on the road. He'll do, you know, his coursework while he's on the road. 
but also, you know, the stuff that he's done for our community. I mean, free play for kids. What's not to like about a name like free play for kids where they get some equipment and maybe some court or, or uh, ice time for mainly immigrant kids, he said. You know, just get a chance, get a, get a running start at, you know, the Canadian culture. Like, come on in. It's great. And it's good that he's up there holding the ball for that and, and you know, leading the charge. And at the same time, also uh, sponsoring a scholarship program where he himself chooses from a shortlist, but he himself goes through every person on the shortlist. And he said there were two or three of the toughest nights of the year for him, deciding, I think, which two out of the five would get the scholarship from his foundation this year. I mean, he's gotten a lot of money, but he's putting at least some of it in pretty good places. And how about a little credit for that? Yeah, yeah. yeah the quality of the human the is, 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 uh, is well good. Well said, um, Overachiever. I'll just you know? say two quick so things on this one before we move on uh, to the last article of the night and then uh, call it a night. The um, I always think about Nurse, like you talked about it. He's They ran him as a one and two. Um, you know, tell me a guy in the league that plays that many minutes where he won't have a couple hiccups. Uh, just percentage wise, you know, I mean, and to focus on a couple hiccups in, in terms of playing that many minutes is, is pretty tough criticism uh, to take. And then the second thing I want to say is low tide. That's got to be the most Edmonton fan type of story I've ever read, <laughs> you know, where you're defending, <laughs> defending, not just Darnell nurse, but talking about <laughs> Roberg going to be, a, I mean, these are, uh, you know, people and people still love you, but you know, the, the Twitter crowds are probably some of them probably threw up today when they read that. And <laughs> uh, tell you, I, I'm one of those too. I'll go to bat when I when, when there's an order that I think is taking an undue beating, mm -hmm. whether it's from fans of other teams, in which case they get it, or fans of our own team turning on our own players. Oh. And I, I sort of become a feels like Ruthless, one man. Right? Fan club for Zach Sertini, you know, Ryan <laughs> yeah. Jones, or Chris Russell. All of them took heaps of shit while they were in this yeah. town, yeah. playing their asses off for Matt the Edmonton Oilers. And at a certain point, that pisses me off. And pardon the language, mm -hmm. but that that does, you know, giving it everything you got. Well, might not be good enough, and it might, you know, you might need to make a change over time. Cropping all over the players doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, 100% agree. I, I love it. And, and I uh, thank you guys for doing those types of things. We're going to finish off with this last one, which is uh, this is and, um, you know, in the same vein, this is a true Bruce McCurdy type of article right here. Uh, title of it is uh, Vegas Golden Knights Edmonton Oilers have built contenders by shopping in different aisles. Uh, Bruce, do you want to just give us a summary and we'll have a quick discussion? Yeah, sure. Uh, over the last uh, four seasons now, during the playoffs or this year, just after the playoffs, I've done comparisons between uh, the orders and how the roster was constructed versus the uh, final contenders. One year I did the final four, another year I did the Stanley Cup finalists. Uh, this year I just looked at... Uh, at Vegas last year, I did a Edmonton versus Colorado comp when their series was just getting started on the same vein. And the idea is just where did these teams get the guys that are making them competitive? And what are they doing different maybe that Oilers aren't doing? And 
each one is different, you know. I mean, Tampa Bay won two cups, and what I do is I look at players drafted in the first round, players drafted on day two, anywhere between rounds two and seven. Uh, players like what I call freebies picked up on the open market as you know undrafted free agents uh, signed to entry level. Uh, contracts or um, players picked off of waivers uh, and a big one of course is trades and in the case of Tampa Bay they built a lot of their team by absolutely crushing it out of the park on day two of the draft and picking up a bunch of guys like uh, you know Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Anthony Sorelli uh, you know really good strong uh, players of uh, Andre Palat, Alex Kaloran, I mean, a lot of them. And more that they picked up as unsigned players, you know, Yanni Gord and Tyler Johnson that they just picked off the scrap heap at age 22. And <clears throat> then Colorado's team was done differently. They too had some fine players that they picked in the first round, but none, not a single player on their team that they drafted below the first round. Like, even worse than the Oilers, and yet they won the Stanley Cup. So they made that work for them. And then to compare to this year's team, Vegas, and it's almost impossible to compare because Vegas built their team through the draft, all right, but it was the expansion draft and not the regular, uh, you know, young players draft. But they came in with exceptionally good terms under uh, uh, the most recent expansion, and some very, very sharp management from George McPhee, who used his position. You no, know, there was only one team coming in, so they were going to get their player off of each team. It wasn't like they were competing with some other expansion team and they didn't know what they were going to get. They could pick their whole team uh, in advance of the draft because they knew who was available, but also they were working the phones and finding out, you know, Florida, uh, we're really looking hard at that uh, Alex Petrovich guy. You know, maybe you want to shake someone else free. They wound up getting Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault the uh, Con Smythe Trophy winner, by the way, both from Florida Panthers. And both guys have been on their team now for six years. They finally they dispatched Roddy Smith at the end of, the, of this summer. And it was just the way they went about it. And then the draft has been useless to them. They have mm-hmm. one player on their team that they picked, period. Not just one player after the first round. It is that guy, <laughs> Nicholas Haig. He was picked 34th overall. They don't have a single first-round pick of their own on their team. They won the Stanley Cup. I mean, I dare you to find another team at any time in the last, well, maybe ever since the draft started that had no first rounders of their own on it. But that's how Vegas does. So what I'm learning from this is that, there, I mean, this was already known and, and, you know, sort of a truism. There are many different ways to win. And so what you don't have to be is perfect, right? You don't have to be like, nobody's perfect. Julian Brisebois was almost perfect. But they, there's different ways of doing business. So my comparison of the Oilers with all their first-round picks, I mean, the Oilers had Nugent Hopkins, Nurse, uh, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Paul Yarvey, before Las Vegas had a team. 
<laughs> so how do you even compare that? So that, you know, we're really looking at apples and pineapples, as I called it. <laughs> so ultimately what I'm going to do, and I've been, I've been angling towards doing something like this for a long time since I got into this method. And the article I was working on today that was put off by the McLeod News, was coming soon, is a comparison of the real Edmonton Oilers to the real Las Vegas Golden Knights. And I'm going to compare the two teams that won the Stanley Cup in their sixth year of existence. And go through how oh, cool. they they each benefited from an expansion draft. Their start is kind of the same, but they really morphed into different directions. And that little bit of research has has been quite fascinating. I hope people enjoy oh, yeah. uh, reading it. I I've loved doing the doing the research on it. Yeah, I love everything you two write. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I was you know this was a great article. I I think that piece about the. Um, about the drafted players with Vegas. I mean, that kind of, I've never really broken it down and or, and or thought about it. And that, you know, threw me for a loop. Uh, what I do love though, is the, um, you know, little, uh, little uh, bite in there towards uh, Vegas about the Oilers having been the fastest to win the cup. Um, you know, I appreciate mm, that. a little bit too much uh, talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> General direction of Vegas. It's what, not not the worst idea to throw some back at it. Right? This was way before your time, fellas. <laughs> just it. You're not the best uh, new team in the history of the National Hockey League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, would you, would you suggest, you know, after having uh, researched this, that both uh, McPhee and McCrimmon have very much the same style at the end. I mean, you, that's because it's a tough one, right? I mean, obviously, you know, in terms of maybe their PR capabilities are a little bit different, um, but, <laughs> but the, uh, but the way they trade, the way they build the roster, you, you see some similarities there. Well, McCrimmon to me, uh, uh, maybe Alan is off on uh, mute. Agreement uh, <laughs> to me is uh, is um, uh, a little more cutthroat. I mean, he dealt Mark Andre Fleury for nothing. Mm-hmm. Just take the contract, be gone. Somebody wants this contract, out, out, out you go. Basically traded Max Pacioretty for nothing. Yeah, threw in another player and sort of low level. Mm-hmm. player for reasons unknown but it's basically take the contract and uh we love you max but we can use this cap space better we like you mark andre but you know mm-hmm. 7.5 is a lot for a goalie maybe you know alex petrangelo's out there on the market or wherever it was that here i call you know and the, what they've done is a lot of transactions with big money contracts stashed going they paid for stone they Paid for Eichel and trades. They got uh, they got uh, Pacioretty in a big trade and gave him away for nothing. I mean, they they lost uh, Nick Suzuki and uh, a couple of picks to get Pacioretty, but uh, they're quite cold blooded about it. Whereas here in Edmonton, it seems like the approach it's not just the team; it's the fans. Like they they want to build and just keep. You know, I mean, at one point earlier this year, the Oilers had their last 10 consecutive first-round draft choices all under contract. I think I heard then, uh, Alan playing some chords in the background there. <laughs> you got the guitar. I, I have to say, I've, I've been listening to this. Uh, Bruce really laid it out really well there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the the uh, the respective team building. And I and I think that, mm. that Edmonton 
the 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 seventy nine through eighty four teams. Uh, they did. I mean, the, the, I think that's the most brilliant use of the the entry draft we've ever seen. Yeah. But as Boot said, you know, the 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 expansion draft was set up in a way. You know, you can go back and look at the poor Washington Capitals and the Kansas City Scouts didn't have anybody to draft, but the the Vegas Golden Knights were given a, an enormous advantage and full credit. They took advantage mm-hmm. of it and, and they they won their Stanley, but but that was a that was a purchase of a golden card by Vegas Golden Knights, and not to bitch and moan, but if you're an Oilers fan, uh, the two expansion teams have had the best opportunity to get good in a hurry are both in the Pacific Division. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sam Pollock wouldn't have it any other way, Alan. (laughs) I think he got the Capitals and the Islanders in his division when they first came in. And uh, uh, I think he got the Sabres and the Canucks in the same draft because they moved (laughs) Chicago to the West and they brought in both Buffalo and Vancouver. Vancouver in the East. I mean, this is how NHL can you get, right? (laughs) Anyway. Uh, I'm just seeing on our screen here, some stranger says, Bruce Cassidy gets no credit for the cup win, and I have to respond. He very definitely deserves a lot of credit for the cup win, and he sometimes is over. I mean, I've been looking at roster construction, so specifically more at the GM than the coach. But uh, this particular coach, he came in and did a fantastic job in in Vegas, and I'd say to me, he won the head-to-head coaching showdown uh, in the Edmonton series for sure. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope Woodcroft can learn from those <laughs> those mistakes. I mean, the one thing we love about Woodcroft, right, is he seems to be the kind of guy that you know studies every move that he's made and and is willing to uh, move on from that. Uh, guys, I think um, you know I appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Uh, it's I know it's getting late even in Edmonton. Uh, you know what time it is here in Halifax. But I can Let's tell, uh, I can tell the sun's down just by looking out Bruce's window there. So, yeah, it's, I, I think I saw, I, I saw a skip the dishes guy. About <laughs> That's right. Ago. Yeah, he's waiting outside. Uh, I think he, I think Bruce owes him money. I don't know, but you know, I want to get on that. So I'm going to do uh, a quick uh, round the horn. Uh, I'll start. I'll go with Dash. Uh, then we'll go to you, Bruce. And, and uh, Alan, the way we typically do it here on Oilers Live is uh, you get the last word. Everybody else gets thrown on mute, which means you can say whatever you want. It's, uh, it's not um, CRTC or anything like that. It's not going to shut us down yet. Yeah, and uh, you can even do a Bruce McCurdy impression. (laughs) That's right. You can do whatever you want. Okay, I'm in. (laughs) And then then, uh, you end the you end the show by saying good night, and that's when I know to put the closing credits on. So I'll start. um, You know, again, thank you guys uh, for joining the show tonight. Uh, It was great. Uh, Continue to um, love the content you guys are putting out, Uh, and I think you know, and I've said it when I've had you guys on the show before, uh, thank you on behalf of anybody that's into sports and sports media. We, um, you know, we're, we live for this content and, uh, we love to talk about the Oilers and talk about what's going on around the league. So thank you for doing that. I know it's, um, it has to be a passion 
to be done well. So, and I can tell for you guys, it is a passion for sure. Uh, there are some exciting things happening. The Heavy Hockey Showdown, which is in uh, support of the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. Uh, please, um, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this, whether it's on the recording or if you're listening to it live uh, right now, uh, you know, make sure you check out, um, it, they go by SACE, uh, you can find them at sace.ca. Um, they could use all the support, uh, that you're willing to give them. We do, uh, last year we've done a, a charity hockey game every year. Last year we've chosen, uh, SACE as our, as our charity of choice. And we're going to continue to do that moving forward. Um, because they need it, they need the help, uh, and they just do amazing work. Um, you know, Mary Jane and the whole team there, uh, absolutely love them and what they do. Uh, we have set the date for February 25th in Edmonton. It's a Sunday. Uh, that's going to be when the hockey game happens. Uh, the night before is the battle of Alberta. If we can still call it a battle. Uh, and um, so, you know, I'll be at the game uh, with a whole bunch of our heavy hockey cohort. So, you know, try to uh, try to make that game. Also put it in your calendars for February 25th. Um, information about registration and all of that will come out as soon as we're we're there. We've got a great group uh, uh, committee, Jacqueline, Dash, uh, Lori, Pam, and just a great team putting that together as we do every Jeff. year. Jeff, yeah. And it's, um, and it's as I said, it is booked. We've booked the ice at downtown community center, so that's great. Uh, make sure you check out heavyhockey.com. Uh, there's uh, 11 contributors now for heavyhockey.com. In fact, uh, our friend uh, Bruce here has done a couple of great articles himself, uh, and we thank you for that. Um, it's, um, these guys, uh, you know, they get paid a ton of money to write these articles. They're laughing right now. I, I tell them every, every week you get a hundred percent raise. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, you know what? It's just, it's a bunch of fans of the game of hockey and they put their time in. They, they love to do it. It's a passion for them. It's a passion for us to do these podcasts. Um, so, you know, the, all I ask is that, uh, check out the site, heavyhockey.com and thank you to, um, Dash for, uh, joining me week after week and reaching out to Bruce and low tide and, and just being here, uh, you know, in a good friend. Well, Jamo, unfortunately had to, uh, take a last minute. That's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, get him back. Everybody knows Jamo is a great guy. Class, too. But he, he, he wanted to be here and he yeah. was a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just strike like a mongoose elsewhere. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, that's you know the shift at the, <laughs> the piggly wiggly. 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 We, we never, we never did get in. We never did uncover yeah. that, did we? Uh, I or what Dave Jameson does behind the piggly life wiggly. Life after it. Yeah, I did yeah. go down a rabbit hole on the piggly wiggly last night. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're not going to get there. The the show could have got yeah. off the rails at at some point tonight. I'll pass it off to Dash. Uh, Dash last words hey uh i'll keep it brief because uh anybody listening wants to hear these two guys's voice and not mine at this point in time um you know but i i moved to edmonton in august of 2005 and 
I've been listening to the radio here for 18 years, you know, whether it goes back to when Spectre was on 1260 and Bryn and, and Robin and, you know, like there's just been so many great guys through the years that I never would have thought at this point in time, I'd be sitting here talking to you guys. And it's an absolute honor. Um, I think you guys are two of the hardest working uh, people in all of media. Uh, your articles are, told them, <laughs> um, you, you know, it's, it's, that's BS Bruce, because it's, <laughs> it's so obvious that the work goes into it. Um, the ideas, they're unique, they're distinctive, um, you know, they're peculiar and I love it. Uh, you guys are probably two of the hardest working writers I think I've ever seen. And as a, as a result, that's not just me pandering, um, the articles speak for themselves. I really do believe that. So uh, all that said, it's it's just an honor to be on here with you guys. It's an honor to listen to uh, you talk to us and answer our questions. So uh, I'll pass it off to Bruce so he can pass it off to Al. And, and just thanks a lot. I, I miss your guys' voices. Thanks. Yeah, well, I sure miss Alan's voice. And, and uh, you know, uh, this is this is the part that bugs me, you know, when the when a business closes or something is one thing when a radio station shuts down they're taking friends out of your home right that you yeah. willingly invite into your home several days a week in some cases well said. and uh in alan's case and the show that he ran for however many years on uh TSN, basically, it's been the soundtrack to the, most of the 15 years that I've been a blogger. And I got a lot of information that I find myself lost at sea some of these times. Oh, the artist did something. Where am I? You know, I used to get it on the radio within a few minutes of it happening. That's not happening. And, and uh, you know, and then there's a two-hour show focused in the middle of the day, which may or may not be at a convenient time. But you don't have this constant... Uh, at least not at this time, and I guess there are plans in the works. We've been hearing things from Nielsen and and uh, Lieutenant Eric and uh, and so on, and uh, uh, whispers about uh, other uh, eminences like Alan that might uh, wind up, uh, uh, you know, in a new situation where we can again access their voice. And I can't wait. Like I say, I've been lost at sea uh, without that. And uh, I also want to commend you guys for your. Uh, charity work on behalf of uh, Sexual Assault Centre of Edmonton. I know the Ladies of Orders Twitter have identified the same charity for their Ladies' Night that I think came just a few days after your game this year. Correct. And to get the one, two of, you know, sort of the two different uh, groups of great people uh, focusing on the same charity kind of sort of says, oh, that charity must be uh, must be a good one. Certainly, of what I've read of it, it's uh, it's impressive and it needs to help, as you as you guys say. So, thank you for stepping up and and being there and getting that word uh, uh, out there. You know, it's it's not always the easiest type of charity to promote, uh, but it needs to be done. So, uh, so good on you. And otherwise, I'll just say, you know. 60 years for me as a fan now, 15 as a blogger. So when I call myself a fan blogger, that's what I am, and in that, in that order. I was a fan of this game for 45 years before people like Alan Mitchell and Tyler Dello and, and uh, Vic Ferrari and other local mm -hmm. luminaries that sort of paved the way to the whole blogging community just drew me in in 08 and uh, been going strong. By the faithful, so, for the yeah. faithful. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, and uh, uh, David Stables as well. It's been doing this uh, uh, blog that I belong to now for 13 years. You know, trying to parse the game in different ways and coming up with uh, some uh, interesting uh, viewpoints. And that's what we're all trying to do, I think, in one way or another. And uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to be uh, to be part of that uh, of that uh, community. And with that, I will pass off to uh, local blogging legend <laughs> Mitchell for the last. Right word. on. Well, and Al, can can you please include something on Bill Lee, Steve Rogers, or <laughs> some sort of tangent about what's wrong with baseball as your closing remarks? <laughs> well, maybe I, mention I, Maidstone because I miss <laughs> this man. I actually, I'm loving the baseball season this year. I'm not loving the Jays lately, uh, but because mostly because of pitching. Uh, and but if Buck builds up a starter in the first inning one more time, and they give up five runs, I'm going to lose it. But I, I think they'll be okay for the playoffs. I don't know about any deep postseason run. Uh, as far as the Expos are concerned, Warren Cromartie promised me four or five years ago that he was going to bring the Expos back, and we're all going to go and party big time when that happens. Really quickly, boys. Uh, Everybody's mentioned the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. Um, I I don't know a tremendous amount. I have been touched by the people involved, and they're all great people. And I also know that in the community that I live in during the pandemic, there was a lot going on that that really uh, is still is still being is still being felt and hurt is being felt because that was a tough time for everybody. And so if you can't, because they're not they're not a, a um, an organization that has, you know, deep roots anywhere, but they're vital and they need to build those deep roots. So if you can help, make sure you do. Also for fans, please enjoy this. I don't know if they're going to win a Stanley Cup this year, but the Edmonton Oilers are a, a, an absolute force. Connor McDavid is is worth every minute you spend watching him, either live or on television. Enjoy that great, great, great hockey club. Don't let anybody online make you feel badly about cheering for this team. Losses occur no matter how good they are. If they don't win the Stanley Cup, it'll be a damn shame. But if they do... Make sure that you're there to enjoy it. Don't talk the next day about, oh, they should have won three. Please enjoy the experience. Winning a Stanley Cup as a fan is the most special thing I've ever experienced. And I hope that that you don't let anybody take that away from you. Enjoy the game. Enjoy this team. They are special, I promise you. And that's all I've got to say. Enjoy your night. I enjoyed this, boys. It was fun. Slide.